in their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Homestar Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trek West 5 is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com, custom web design at template website prices. Designs by Didi.blogspot.com, your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeBagere with Kirkham & Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com, blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 143. I am Peter. And I am Joey. And, um... Did we skip last week? Yes, we did. We skipped last yeah. week. Sorry. Even though I ended up recording a podcast anyway, it just wasn't this podcast. Yes. It was a bad week for me, parents and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> you had a stiff neck. I did. I was stiff-necked. And you still kind of are, but it's better. Yeah, a lot better. I have about... Uh, I went from having, uh, he said, 3% range of motion on the right side of my body to about 100%. I'm pretty close to 100%, so... I couldn't even turn my head to the right when I went to the chiropractor. He said, all right, turn your head to the left. And I could turn it a little bit. And he says, turn your head to the right. And, I, and, and I, you know, I, I'm straining to try and turn it farther. And he says, you realize you're just moving your eyes, right? <laughs> so tell me, do you, know, you didn't get a copy of your uh, x-rays, did you? No, I didn't. That would be a hoop to stick that on there. <laughs> I'll see if I can get it. What, what you described to me... Uh, is is pretty funny. Yeah. If not, like, really disturbing that that's <laughs> what's going on in your body right now. Yeah, so I, I don't have any curvature in my spine. Most people's spines are curved. Uh, mine is straight up and down. And the muscles are trying to pull it back into curvature, which is pulling alternate vertebra out of position. So every other vertebra is rotated, like, three degrees to the opposite side. So one to the left and one to the right. One to the left and one to the right. It's pretty messed up. That's like this weird, you know, spinal Christmas tree of sorts. <laughs> um, which has caused no end of pain yeah. for you, um, as, as you described it to me. I, I, It must be terrible not to be able to like move around, have mobility. Yeah, it was certainly interesting driving like that. <laughs> like, oh, no one's in the blind spot. That's right. Yeah. I, I'd turn on my blinker and drive for 800 feet <laughs> and then just start going over as slowly as possible. <laughs> if I heard a honk, go back into my lane. <laughs> well, yeah, if you slowly creep over, I think it'll be okay. It'll be fun. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, by the way, uh, uh, Trek West 5 is not held responsible for uh, any driving decisions you decide to make <laughs> based upon the curvature of your spine. That's the uh, the podcast shield that protects <laughs> yes. us from that. I went to law school. We have, we have no that. liability. <laughs> um, all right. Well, anything else? Well, what, what's going on? Do, do we have any announcements that we need to make? Anything? Uh, we have an exciting project coming up, but we're not ready to say anything about it yet. Other than... It's going to be awesome. I giggled for like an hour straight the other morning <laughs> thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, and, and Joey filled me in on a little bit of it. Some of it sounds kind of interesting. Um, and I think one of the things that we already talked about before with doing a book 
read. Yeah. We mentioned on the podcast before. We're actually getting close to maybe doing that here pretty soon. Yes. And it'll be solely on our blog, um, thehomestarme.com. Uh, so when we get that up there, we'll let you know. But we're actually getting close to it. We're probably um, going to start in October. We're going to be reading the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. Yeah. And I am nervous because I have no idea what's going to be expected of me as a potential participant in this. Well, you're basically going to have to carry the thing, so... <laughs> oh, well, that should be easy. No, no problem there. Uh, okay, well, if there's no announcements or whatnot, yep. I, I do have a listener email that okay. we need to go over right. first. Is it Brainy? No. Oh, I thought maybe he... Oh, it's printed. I guess it wouldn't be. Yes. <laughs> I haven't checked the email recently, so... I don't know, maybe he sent something in. You can check while I'm reading this. Uh, this is from listener M... Um, and keep in mind, he sent this in August 15th. Okay. So, you know, a little old, but the material's still okay. He says, I think it's great you let the intern talk so much on this last podcast. <laughs> Shouldn't he be busy doing things for the podcast, like getting you drinks and arranging massages for you guys? <laughs> he needs to get to work. Um, I'm not sure I want him arranging massages for me. I don't know. Let's let's let him take a shot at it. We can always say no, right? <laughs> no, I'm going to have some vagrant in my home saying, uh, I have uh, news about a, a massage for a hot meal. As long as Aaron provides the hot meal, though, does it really bother you that much? Uh, he continues, I agree with Pete's top ten movie trilogies. The only one I would add would be the Toy Story trilogy, I'm not sure which one I would drop. Uh, which you brought up the Toy Story trilogy uh, when we did that. Yeah. You? Yeah, and the only reason I didn't put it in is because I've only seen the first one. I haven't seen the other two. Come on, Pete. Patience and you'll get great at accents. Perhaps you need to start with easier accents. It is pretty easy to do a Russian accent. You just need to speak like Boris Badenov. And refer to Moose, <laughs> Moose and, and Squirrel, squirrel. <laughs> a lot. The podcast would be so much better if Pete could do accents. Maybe we should get someone to send in an accent, like an accent a week that I try. I bet we can arrange for that. That, that might be fun. I, I might just sign up for an anonymous email account to send in the accent of the week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Moose and Squirrel. Um... Joey needs to quit being such a nerd about the recent Batman movie. Inception did have a great ending, though. The audience reaction when I saw it was great. Brainy needs some background music for his bit. That would be awesome. I heard, uh, which uh, requires extra work for you. Well, hold on now. Didn't Brainy compose an original piece of music? <laughs> Did he? He did, didn't he? Was it Brainy that did that? I think it was. Okay. And we used it like once. Yeah, we need to use that again. I keep forgetting it's out there when I go to pick my intros. <laughs> um, we can we can do his own... You know what, Brainy? If you want background music, send me something. I'm, I'm willing to at least give it a listen. Yeah. And we can't use any, like, pop stuff. Yeah. You know, anything that's licensed uh, in any way. But uh, there's unlicensed stuff out there. And, hey, and there's stuff declared pod safe. So. Tchaikovsky's uh, The Nutcracker. That's that's free. Everybody can use that. 
<laughs> well, we'll just put that in, you know, while we're reading the, the email. Okay. It's an idea. I heard an interesting news story about Benedict Cumberbatch. He is thinking about moving to the U.S. because he feels picked on about his background. He is tired of, quote, posh bashing, close quote. That is going on over here. Uh, going on over there. Uh, I hadn't heard about that. I, I don't know what that is. Posh bashing? Posh is like rich. She's one of the Spice Girls, right? Yes, Posh <laughs> is one of the Spice Girls. Uh, or, or as some Scottish people would say, Spice Girls. Um, but they aren't a group anymore, so I don't know if she gets to claim the title of Posh anymore. Although, Wait, which one did she's that? Posh. Which she's one? married to David Beckham. Yeah, okay. Which one did the soccer player yes. marry? So. And she is very Posh, uh, because that man has a great deal of money. <laughs> Um, which so it's just like good for him. They're just so it's kind of a ninety-nine percent movement going on over there. Or? <laughs> no, I don't, well, I don't think so. Posh is a term that's been around for sure. A long no, time. I, I'm familiar with the term posh. Yeah, but uh, I, I wasn't aware that he was being picked on for having, you know, money. I'm just wondering posh bashing. I'm wondering if that's like the UK equivalent of the ninety-nine percent movement. Well, let, let's be fair. This is listener M. <laughs> is an American. Yeah, yeah. So who knows? Maybe we should read his, you know, stuff with a grain of sand. Uh, he continues, uh, thanks for introducing uh, me to a great British show, Sherlock. Fortunately, I can watch the first season on Netflix. I am looking forward to your going through the Battlestar Galactica series. I have some great questions slash comments that could be addressed. Listener M. So, thanks, Listener M. I think you uh, have raised some excellent points, and uh, we'll add you to our newsletter. Um, okay, that's all I've got. Uh, Facebook Find of the Week? Facebook Find of the Week. Uh, this week is going to Listener Julia. <laughs> Do we have a nickname for her yet, by I the way? I don't know. I think you're right. I think she was a, you know, sh she came on board a long time ago because I think I've had her on the email list for a while, but I don't know that we have a, a, a name for her. If only we had an intern to go listen to our back catalog and find out. <laughs> love giving him stuff like that. <laughs> I think he's listened to our back catalog like six times now. <laughs> uh, anyway, she posted a uh, an Avengers, I don't know, some kind of movie clip thing up it was like, it was supposed to be bloopers or outtakes okay. or something like that. It, it got yanked before Pete or I could see it. And as far as I'm aware, I think Bob was the only other person on the, the Facebook group other than Julia who was able to see it. Yeah. Um, and Bob said he enjoyed it. So therefore it wins, because I have no evidence that it wasn't <laughs> the best thing this week. Now we just have to remember to send uh, Julia the uh, Facebook Yes, in fact I still owe JD one. I, was think I woke up this morning thinking, oh shoot, I never sent JD that email. <laughs> oh, he is so pissed right now, which is why he doesn't write in anymore. That's probably it. Uh, okay, uh, Brainy Smurf? Yes. Wait, before we do Brainy Smurf, we have to do our new segment. Should I do the new segment before Nook or after Nook? Oh, crap. I don't remember the news. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, let's do it before. Okay. So the new segment is called Adventures in Republican-ism <laughs> or something. I, I don't know. 
I just realized Everything that's like not a... classier if you add an ism to it. <laughs> well, I just realized that's like adventures in Republican. That's not really I don't think proper grammar. <laughs> it's a word. Okay. Um, so I have been elected now to the uh, county party steering committee. I'm the volunteers officer, and I had my first steering committee and executive committee meeting this past uh, a week ago Thursday. So did you steer the executives correctly? I hope so. Um, I, I just thought it would be kind of interesting maybe to give a, a little bit of feedback or a little bit of insight into what's going on in the Utah County Republican Party. First, let me say that with the amount of effort I put in, it's kind of scary that I'm already on the steering committee. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm like... There maybe, are... maybe you should describe a little bit about the steering committee. Okay, so... I have no idea what that means. So in the... In the so you have the National Party, the National Republican Party, mm-hmm. and it has branches. So it has the branch of the Utah Republican Party, which also has sub-branches, the Utah County Republican Party. Uh, in that, each county can set up their own organizational structure and by the however way, they that, want. That's not talking about the state. There, there is a county literally called Utah, Utah. County. Utah County. Yeah. So just in just the help, state of just Utah. helping out some Thanks. people. Who... Um, so we are uh, we, the way we are organized. We have two elected officers that lead the county party. We have a state or a county party chair and a county party party vice chair. He then has five other officers that are appointed by him. Um, And one of those is the volunteers officer, one's the organization's officer. Uh, I can't remember the other one's off the top of my head. One of them, like, uh, what's more, security officer? No, there's not a security officer. Because if there was, you should start calling them Worf. There's also a a secretary which is elected, and there's a, a constitution and bylaws committee which they're the ones who propose changes to the to the county party to say we got a submission from some, one of our members they want to change the party bylaws for the county party to say x y and z and and they make sure that you know the language is correct and, and that it doesn't conflict with the county party platform and things like yeah, that yeah it so. doesn't it doesn't say hey we should all become democrats yes yeah you know, everyone like in the utah republican party is now a democrat yeah uh Anyway, but but the, so the steering committee is composed of the the chair, the vice chair, the secretary, and then a bunch of people appointed by the chair, then elected by the rest of the county as a whole, or at least the precinct captains of, of the or precinct chairs of the county as a whole. Uh, and we advise the chair in how to run the party, and then we and then basically he delegates certain responsibilities to us. So, for example, as the volunteers officer. I have to make sure that any event that the Utah County Republican Party holds, that there are volunteers there to staff the booths or to, for and example, lemonade. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, we're going to be having a breakfast in October. I have to have people to come that have food service licenses. I have to track down some people that are willing to volunteer their time that have a, a, a license to handle food. So. Wow, that actually sounds like a terrible job. It's it's not exactly the most popular job. <laughs> Which is why I think you got in, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it gives me, you know, like I said, it, it gives me the ear of the of the county party chair. Pretty, you know, I get to talk to him once a month for an hour. And then we also, I'm also on the executive committee and I'm on the central committee, which is, all, so the, the, the body, there's about four or 500 people that make all the decisions for the Utah County Republican Party. And that's the central committee. And so I, I, you know, by virtue of my office as an appointed 
person on the steering committee, because I'm doing things for the county party, they they elect to give me a seat in the Central AKA committee. cronyism. <laughs> anyway, it was it was very interesting. So the the big race in the state of Utah this year, uh, in the general election, I should say, is Mia Love versus Jim Matheson. Jim Matheson is the only Democrat congressperson from the state of Utah. And he's been in there for 10 or 12 years now. And, and I think he does a great job. Oh, jeez. <laughs> really? Look, if I had the opportunity to vote for the guy, I think I might. Really? Over Mia Love? I don't know anything about her. What well, has she done for me lately? Has she ever been on uh, my representative for the state of Utah? No. <laughs> All right, maybe I'm stretching that too far. You know, the, the but I, there, there's nothing that I've heard about Matheson that would automatically make me think he is a terrible person and I should not be a part of anything he does. And that is actually exactly what I wanted to do with this segment, was to say, I hope this doesn't get spread too widely <laughs> around. Uh-oh. I have actually voted for Jim Matheson in the past. Yeah. Because... The guy that the Republicans put up was not someone I wanted to see in office. <laughs> the world will be a worse place yes. if this guy gets in. I would yeah. rather vote a Democrat than this Yahoo. <laughs> um, and, and that's what, that's what, I, was, you know, I, what I really wanted to talk about. Well, so what happened was Mia Love is the Republican challenger this year to Matheson's seat. Um, well, to the new seat that Matheson yes, is choosing true. to run in. That's true. Uh, the, and the uh, the county party had elected to donate $5,000, one-tenth of its annual operating budget, to Mia Love's campaign, because that's what we can do without asking anyone else's permission. So the executive committee, which is like 15, 20 people, can vote, yes, we want to give her $5,000. And then anything over that, we have to go to the Central Committee, which is the five, four or five hundred person body, and ask for permission beyond that. So we're actually going to ask for permission to do another five thousand to her, mm -hmm. which will actually be one third of our total uh, budget for. Wow. Um, what's the term I'm looking for for races, for campaigns this year? We're given to one candidate. I'm so glad you said campaigns <laughs> for, for races. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like. Black, <laughs> white, well, uh, uh, so that's, Chinese. That's the, the interesting thing was, you know, as <laughs> as we got talking about giving her this money, there was one person that w didn't feel we should give her this money. He he'd heard some things that disturbed him about Mia Love, and uh, was saying, "I don't think we should do it. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't trust her yet." Kind of thing. Um, and it was interesting as the conversation developed. Some of the people that said. They, if they didn't outright say it, they at least heavily implied, look, any Republican, no matter how dirty he is, is better than Jim Matheson. And we, I mean, we, we had a discussion about that. And I, I did not agree with that. I don't agree with that. Like I said, I will, I'll go to the ticket. I generally, I lean to the right. I vote Republican. I don't know why I'm pointing to the left. <laughs> <laughs> I lean to the right. <laughs> I, I, I just assumed that it had something to do with your crooked spine. And so that was just easier to go I, that direction. I, that's stage right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, 
So I vote for whoever the best guy is, in my opinion, in the off, in the, available for the office. You should. Um, this time around, I really think Mia Love is the best person. Uh, I didn't know anything about her until state convention, where I heard her speak, and she got me very excited. Uh, just the the things that she believes in, the things that she talks about, are the kind of things that I want to see our government focusing on: personal accountability. You know, having having a sense of of personal pride and work ethic and things like that. Things that I really value. I mean, it was like, good grief, voting for this one is like voting for myself for Congress. Yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so you can't I vote Joey we, for Congress this time around. I wish we could around. put up a picture of you and me alone. Be like, oh, mirror images of each other. <laughs> so, but you know, the, the, there's one other interesting thing that you know comes up with me alone, which is she is... A female, obviously. She's oh, what? she's black, and she's an immigrant from Haiti, I think. Wow, if I remember correctly. Uh, if you're going to run against the Democrat, certainly it's got the trifecta. There. <laughs> certainly, good things to be if you're trying to pull that Democratic, or even the you know the moderate, you know, uh, undecided vote. So, I, I I'm just really excited. I think Mia Love is a very good option. I just hope there aren't too many bigots left in Utah that would look at a black woman and say, I'm not going to vote that in. I'll just there, go with the white guy. There may be some, but I, 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 think, I think the bigger risk is incumbency. I, I think that's the bigger problem that we have to overcome. Uh, again, I, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those people that's ready to put Jim Matheson's head on a pike and march around town or anything like that? I, I, you know, I don't know. I know this is Utah politics, and so most people are going to be like, uh, boring, move on to Sherlock. But <laughs> in my opinion, I think Matheson should have run for governor. I, I really think that he would have given um, Governor Herbert. Herbert a run I think he for his money. I, and it would have been very close to, to Herbert not getting reelected because... Again, if if Matheson's in that race, I'm voting for Matheson. I am not a fan of Herbert. In my opinion, he is just a political guy who is just he wants to be where the power's at. Yeah. I've never seen anything out of him that that gets me excited about him as my governor. Okay. Nothing. Uh, you know, I think I think uh, he, I am under the impression that Matheson got some pressure from the DCCC. To stay. To stay, because there a lot of their seats this year are pretty heavily contested. Yeah. And so because he's the incumbent and, you know, he, he's still fairly popular in Utah, you know, the fact that they are able to get a Democrat out of the state of Utah is a pretty big deal. It is. Uh, and and I, I'm under the impression that they kind of pressured him into that. Anyway, hopefully that was at least mildly entertaining to someone out there. Uh, you know, if, if everyone writes in and says, you guys just need to shut up with the yakking about Utah politics, maybe we can cancel this segment. But my, my plan right now is in, in our once a month meeting to try and find something interesting. And if there is something interesting, bring it to the podcast and share it. And this week, it, or this month, it was, look, it's okay to vote for the best person on the ticket, but don't just vote incumbency. And I think... I think it's fair to say this. Anybody who's living in Utah County, if you would like to contact Joey, you may certainly do so through the podcast, and he will help enact any laws that you would like to see brought about. Even if you don't live in Utah County and you just oh. want to see some laws. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, listener M is here in Utah, so you know, well, you know maybe, he might have a best Maybe listener interest. Bob has something he'd like to see enacted. <laughs> I, I did not think of our English brethren. 
I, I really should have considered their feelings in this regard. Uh, okay, well, that was a good segment, I think. I think you did a good job, so go ahead and pat yourself on the back. Not, <laughs> not right like, now. Can't. Yeah. Look, you, maybe, that, maybe you, you could, could do it by proxy for no, me. No, uh-uh. No way. <laughs> I am not touching, touching that crooked spine at all. It might get infecting my spine. <laughs> I don't right? think it's infectious. I, well, I don't know. Okay. I'm not a doctor. I've only played one on TV. Brainy Smurf? Brainy Smurf. Brainy Smurf. Okay. Cue music that we haven't decided on. Oh, no, we had decided on Tchaikovsky's. <laughs> that's, that's my impression of the Nutcracker Suite. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Sorry I wrote too much. But, yay. Welcome to... Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry I wrote too much, but uh, yay! Welcome to the second corner of darkness where Joey and I illuminate A Game of Thrones by George R.R. Martin. Pete, you can read paragraphs and bounce back and forth with Joey or read this however you see fit. Okay. So, if you feel like jumping in, okay. feel free to jump in. All right. So this, this actually is both the Nook of Darkness and Joey's Culture Corner this week. Yes, it is. Um, okay. Game of Thrones is essentially a story of Ned Stark's quest to discover who murdered his friend, John Aaron? Yep. John Aaron, the former hand of the king. The answer is sort of obvious from the first few chapters in, but the detective work conducted by the protagonist is a twisted path, full of surprising revelations. The book actually begins with the first sighting of an other mm, yeah. in ages. This points to the actual threat to the realm. But the dudes of Westeros are about to start squabbling amongst themselves. Much in the same way, the book itself is laden with details that heavily foreshadow the rest of the series. A really cool element to the book structure is how the, character, how the chapters are constructed, titled only with the character's name. The named character will provide the point of view for each chapter. I believe that this concept is an original narrative device, but I defer to Joey for that answer. It is, as far as I know. I have not seen it used anywhere else. Okay. Uh, Maesters are cool. One, did I pronounce that right? I guess, yeah. M-A-E-S-T-R-S? I've always internally pronounced it masters, just for... Maester feels kind of awkward. Okay. One order is this society... Uh, one order in this society is a sect of alchemy uh, academics known as the Masters of the Citadel. Every castle is assigned a master to watch over their post in a vow of altruistic service to the realm. The masters are trained in every art and skill, and they forge their own chain of necklaces with a link comprised of every type of metal, each symbolic toward a higher learning endeavor. They can't do magic anymore on account of the lack of dragons. Yeah, actually I'd say, uh, along those lines, I think that... He, he's covered two of the things that make me, when I, when I talk to some people about the Song of Ice and Fire or Song of Ice and Fire, 
Um, I, I will often describe it as one of high fantasy's greatest bait and switches. <laughs> so the, the first, <laughs> wow. The first one is the the others. You're, you're given this great setup of this awesome sounding threat of the others and how they're gonna you know be the threat of the realm. And then you hear almost nothing about them for three and a half, four books. I mean, you get wow. they're they're not even part of the storyline. Uh, and that was frustrating for me as a reader because that was the most interesting piece for me. In fact, I picked up the book, read the prologue, bought it on the strength of the prologue, then only to find out, yeah, I'm not going to hear anything more about those guys for 900 pages. <laughs> uh, and then the other one is that we are in a low magic universe, and I am not a fan of the low magic universe. Uh, as as Brainy mentioned, the, the dragons were kind of the source of magic somehow in, in, this, in this reality, and humanity has kind of hunted them all down and killed them. And therefore, it's, you know, there, there's just a few tiny inklings that magic still exists, but you don't really ever get to see anybody use any on the page. Huh. Interesting. Okay. He moves on. Houses. So the dude in the first chapter gets slaughtered by a pack of others, and then he is somehow reanimated. Mm -hmm. As he strangles his former comrade while staring at him, with a burning blue eye. But then we divert from the eye zombies for the rest of the book? Yeah. The book instead examines the intricate web of politics and sneakiness of the realm. For 7,700 years, the realm was ruled by seven kingdoms. For the past 300 years, the realm was united under Aegon the Conqueror. So now the land is suffering under the yoke of a centralized government. Rival dynasties are clashing, and just as you start to say, this sucks, I want more tundra beast creatures, you are soon lost in this medieval world as the two main rival families are introduced. We have Starks and the Lannisters. Their respective mascots are Dire Wolf and Lion. Their team colors are gray, white, and red gold. <laughs> I like the, the team colors. <laughs> the words of House Stark are, winter is coming. The Lannisters say, a Lannister always pays his debts. Favorite characters. One of everybody's favorite characters say Tyrion. is Tyrion Lannister, a dwarf <laughs> who was forced to survive with his wits in a world where strength and warriors are valued highest. I would provide some of my favorite quotes by him, but you would not be able to read them on the air. <laughs> um, uh, Tyrion uh, creates a bond with another disgraced offspring, Jon Snow, John Snow yeah. the bastard of House Stark. He lets young Jon know that they share a common thread as the dwarf confides that his father considers him as a bastard as well. Uh, uh, Tyrion, am I saying? Yeah, Tyrion. Tyrion proceeds to tag along with Jon on his way to fulfill his dream to pee off the edge of the world <laughs> as he visits the Wall and its stronghold, Castle Black. Tyrion also makes great friends throughout his adventure. Various savage hill tribesmen and sell swords and such. Uh, 
okay? So, it's funny, when I, whenever I read these books, you know, whenever I read books, I'm always trying to visualize. I, I, I very often see it like a movie in my head. Um, and it's bizarre. I, I guess my, my biggest problem is with the physical description given to Tyrion, I end up imagining the Hunchback of Notre Dame <laughs> from the Disney version. Okay. Which doesn't jive with the artwork for the rest of the movie that I'm watching. <laughs> I don't know. I just... Can I, can I jump ahead here briefly and just say the big idea, in my opinion? Or does he does he get to that? Because um, if he covers it, I'll save it. But if he doesn't, I'll express it now. No, he just kind of covers a little bit of plot okay. and... I don't know. I, I don't remember. So here's my here's my problem with the Song of Ice and Fire, or a Song of Ice and Fire, whichever one it is. Now you got me all screwed up. I never trust you now when you start wording these phrases with it's A. It's not me! <laughs> Look, it's him! He wrote A Game of Thrones. Okay. Um, the, the big idea, as far as I can tell... The, so, I, I want to preface this by saying, I'm okay with reading a book that doesn't necessarily have a big idea. It's okay to read for entertainment. That's fine. No problem with that. It becomes a problem for me when you read a book, like these seem to be in my opinion, where the big idea is, yeah, even in my dreams, even in the height of fantasy, the, the most wonderful, entertaining world I can imagine, humans are giant sacks of crap. <laughs> None of us should be trusted. All we ever do is wrong. We are bad, 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 bad. That seems to be the big idea of this series. Even the ostensible heroes are not very good people. They're just not likable. And Tyrion is an example of someone that, like, we're supposed to like him, and I think a lot of people do like him, but he's a pretty abominable person. What about Sean Bean's character? Who does Sean Bean play? I don't know. Oh. I just know he was in it, and I was like, I haven't watched oh, the this series. is awesome! Sean Bean! <laughs> I, I've never watched... I, I told you before we started, I said, probably should have watched at least one episode of the HBO <laughs> special, just for character name pronunciation and purposes. Uh, you know, I, I've seen a couple of episodes. Well, not a couple of episodes. I've seen pieces of a couple of episodes. Um, you just watched the soft porn parts. <laughs> <laughs> I missed those. Uh, no, my uh, one of the guys that I work with, he was like, "Oh man, you got you I can't believe you know you're gonna you're gonna love this new series that HBO is coming out with." And he, I watched a preview for it, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this looks awesome!" And then I mentioned it to you, and you're like, "What?" You're interested in that film? <laughs> I can't believe you would want to watch it. I'm like, what are you talking about? It looks so cool. Sean Bean's in it. Um, and then you explained all of the other things that come along with it. Both the book and the TV show have very high production values. They do a good job of representing the world. It's just not a very good place that they're representing. Yeah. And for a fantasy novel, I just I prefer to have something that's a little more uplifting. I have not found anything uplifting at all in any of the characters in any of these books. Okay, let's let's go on. Okay, uh, he comes back uh, again. We're still talking about uh, characters. Dire wolves are also a big part of the story. Yay for dire wolves! Dire wolves are awesome. <laughs> Which are basically wolves, but just bigger, right? Yeah. Well, they're they're 
they're kind of quasi magical beings. I mean, oh. they're they're more intelligent than dogs. Uh, there's an implication that they're actually capable of of rational, so like, they, logical thought. They can thought. count by like you know scratching on the ground, scratching their <laughs> paw on the ground. I don't know if they can count. How many were there? But they dire wolf. They certainly seem to plot. <laughs> <laughs> Lassie the dire wolf. <laughs> I would watch a show like that. <laughs> this wolf that just roams the town that everybody's like afraid of. But, you know, you know, rescues them all, and so they're like, "Oh, thank you, dire wolf." You know, I'll tell everyone you're great. <laughs> that would be so awesome. Uh, he continues. Another favorite character is Hodor. Uh, the simple-minded stable oh, I boy about Hodor. who only utters the word Hodor. <laughs> he is surprisingly communicative. Everyone calls him Hodor, even though his real name is Waldor. Um, I also really like Varys. Varys. V a r y s. Is that the guy that the teaches her to dance? Who controls the gossip chain of the realm? Oh, oh, Serving oh, okay. On the He's like the spy master. Council. Yeah. Some theorize that he is actually a merman. I hope so. Oh, well, I don't have to say his name anymore. Questions. Who is your favorite bad guy? My favorite bad guy? Well, the guy, I mean, obviously the most slimy guy in the entire series by far is uh, Jamie Lannister. Uh, he's so he he is a twin, and he's the one who eventually. Am I spoiling things? Do I, can I, I spoil a little so. bit? No, I'm sure. Go ahead. I'm not going to oh, read okay. the series. Um, he becomes king of the realm. He t- he. Oh, interesting. So the the Lannisters plot against the current king of the realm, who the Starks are sworn to, which is Robert. I think his name is Baratheon. Uh, you know, so they kill Robert, and the Lannisters take over the kingdom. And they make Jamie the king, even though he's a little bit insane, I'm pretty sure. And he is involved in an incestuous relationship with his twin sister. Interesting. He's certainly the slime bucket of the first book. Although, Daenerys' brother is also pretty slimy, so it's a toss-up between... I can't even remember his name now, because he dies. (laughs) Uh, oh, we should mention uh, spoiler alert. Yes. <laughs> uh, Brainy says mine is Tywin Lannister. Okay, Jamie's father, I, I believe, is Tywin. Is there anyone cooler than Arya's dancing teacher, Sirio uh, Florel? No. He's pretty cool. He is, is pretty he? cool. He's he's like a blade master. Oh, okay. So he's not a dancer. Uh, he, he is, but he like the two of us kind of he, like he equates the two to the same. Oh, like, I see. Dancing and sword fighting, you know, they're kind of. Okay. He's very cool. Kind of bringing in like uh, martial arts moves, maybe. Yeah. Okay. All right. Why not? In a Game of Thrones, Ned vaguely refers to a promise he made to his dying sister while rescuing her from. Rhaegar Targaryen? Yeah, I don't know how you... R-H-A-E-G-A-R. Yeah, I don't know. That's one of those ones I said. Rhaegar! 
So the, the Targaryens are the re recently deposed family of rulers. Uh, Daenerys Targaryen is queen in exile at this point. Oh, okay. Um, so Rhaegar, I guess Rhaegar, I'm fine with that pronunciation, they killed him and took over the kingdom from him. Oh, okay. They usurped the throne from him. So, um, uh, Ned vaguely refers to a promise he made to his dying sister while rescuing her from Rhaegar Tar Targaryen and the Tower of Joy. Although we still don't know the details, Joey, a popular theory is that Rhaegar did not rape Ned's sister to death, but was nice to her. He had a baby with Ned's sister, and the baby was... Jon Snow. Jon Snow. Mm, I can see where they get that. Ned was forced to say Jon was, was his, his to and him. hide him so that Robert, usurper to the throne, wouldn't murder him. What do you think? I can see that. Um, the 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 only issue I have with it is the harm it did to Ned and his wife's relationship for him to say that he had a, a bastard. I mean, he's he, he like he's got this moral code where he's like, look, I, you know, I, I can't deny it. Yeah, he's my son. Um, the harm it did to his marriage, I don't. I don't think he goes through all that with his wife if it's just an, if it's his sister's son. Like, at least he would have told his wife, I would imagine. And the fact that she is just, like, it hurt her deeply. You know, you get from her point of view how deeply she was hurt by the fact that her husband had a bastard child. And I, I don't think she would have, we would have seen that emotion from her if it were that, if that were the case. But I can see where they get that. Huh. Okay. Altogether, A Game of Thrones is the most elaborate political backdrop I have ever experienced in a novel. Couple that with ice zombies and soon-to-hatch baby dragons, and you have a sweet story with memorable characters. Dragons, wenches, wenches and eunuchs. Oh my. <laughs> uh, so again, you know, it is incredibly well-written. Uh, like I said last week, uh, George R.R. R. Martin is an absolute craftsman. He's an artist. But he just doesn't seem to think very much of humanity. And I, again, I come back to the fact that at the end of the three or four books, I can't remember now if I read the fourth one. I think I bought the fourth one and then decided I just don't even want to read this because there was nothing uplifting about any of them. I didn't ever walk away going, I'm a better person for having read that book. <laughs> that brought something to my soul. I mean, and again, you know, I, I go back to saying, I'm not opposed to reading for entertainment, but I wasn't even being entertained. I was being impressed by his craftsmanship, and I was, you know, I, I, I was drawn into the world, but it was a horrible, horrible place, filled with people of the blackest soul, and I just decided not to dip into that pool of filth anymore. Good for you. Good for you. But the effort to get out of that pool seems to have uh, screwed up your back. So maybe for your own health, just you do the backstroke next time. In there. Yeah, like, I don't have to dive to the bottom, but I can float around the surface. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, if you're gonna be in it, might as well just be up at the top, and not at the bottom. Uh, okay. Well, that was good. Anything more you want to bring up? No, not really. I think we I think we covered it pretty well. Okay. Would you give it a thumb up? I don't. I get the sense that you wouldn't. 
I wouldn't, I don't think. Again, right. it's well written, beautifully written. He has some great ideas. Not something I want to read. Okay, all right. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, don't buy this book. Moving on to episodes. We are going to be covering... Episode? Episode 2, <laughs> The Blind Banker. Uh, Joey, would you read the uh, summary? We didn't do a summary last week. Did you notice we didn't. that? Yeah, we didn't. I noticed Therefore, that. I didn't write a summary this week because I kind of thought we were moving oh. away from that. <laughs> All right, well, I'll do the summary. Okay. Uh, there's a blank banker who gets blinded, and Sherlock finds out why. <laughs> Is that good? Or should I have used a Russian accent? Yeah, do it. Let's hear the moose and squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> moose and squirrel, blinded banker. <laughs> yeah, it's a, while, while we're on that tangent, just so you know, I, I can't remember what was what was happening the other day, but I I said in my in my best Boris, which is not very good, you know, must stop. No, 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 no. You did fine. Must stop, moose and squirrel. And my kids both looked at me, and my daughter said, "Dad, what is that?" I was like. <laughs> I failed you both as a parent that you don't know who Rocky and Bullwinkle are. Clearly, I am I am not a fit father. Yeah, you need to share Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies. Well, I have seen I have and... shared Merry Melodies. Okay, good. And I've shared some Looney Tunes. Uh, specifically, I like the one the uh... stay away from the racist ones. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, no, the blackface comedy. Yeah, uh, no, I I did the one with the uh, the opera. Where, oh, where it's Elmer actually, and, yeah, uh, Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny. Where it's actually, I mean, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you, you would literally get to hear Wagner's opera in it. And I thought that was kind of cool, so I shared that with them. Yeah. Kill uh, the wabbit, kill the wabbit. <laughs> uh, good times. Okay, well, um, where to begin? Yeah. I'm just going to say up front, I didn't love this episode. Okay. It's not directly derived from any one oh, really? Doyle story. I mean, it has pieces of, of several of them. Uh, for example, I in fact, I think I wrote it down. I'm, while you're looking for that, I, I'm just going to say I felt like some things just felt like a little over the top, a little forced, and it just didn't feel... I don't know. It just didn't feel super great for me. The, but I did love aspects of it. The Adventure of the Dancing Men is the one that I felt it borrowed the most heavily from. Okay. Uh, it's, that's one with, there's little little figurines painted all over the place that turn out to be a code that Sherlock breaks. Okay. Um, I, I, w- I, would, I would speculate here that the reason you don't enjoy this episode as much is because this is John Watson's episode. Far more than it's Sherlock's episode. If you think back, and if you go back and watch it, Watson actually uncovers many of the key elements leading up to the discovery. For example, they walk into the Chinese shop and Watson notices the price tag. Right, uh uh-huh. So, yes, Sherlock has the information once John Watson points it out. But at several points, it's Watson who moves the story forward and not Sherlock. I'm going to respectfully disagree. I think it's production value stuff that they screwed up. And... I didn't hate all of it. Like, I, I enjoy the the new woman who shows up. Uh, I enjoy some of the Watson stuff. Like, I'm not pissed off that he's discovering clues or anything like that. I just just didn't 
feel like it flowed very well. Okay. What's interesting is that this is actually... And, and I think I may have given my ranking on the last podcast a, maybe a little bit low. Maybe I should have given it a 9 because okay. it was it was so good uh, in comparison. In, in the press, this is the episode that gets the better reviews. Yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That doesn't work for me. Um, all right, let's just do ratings then. <laughs> no? no? I couldn't sneak that one in. So, uh, it's interesting. We start off with this whole thing with the tea ceremony. It seems like a lot of work for Which, tea pots. First of all, it made me think of the Credit Kid Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. The Okinawan tea ceremony. Yep. Um, but here, here's what I came away with from that opening scene. We polish our tea set by spilling crap on it and letting it sit for 400 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how is that? Like, everyone talks about, you know, these things, these old things that get this patina over them. I'm like, isn't that a fancy way of saying, like, rotten stuff piled on top of it? Yeah. The only thing that's holding it together is all of the crap that you've allowed to, you know... <laughs> Accumulate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a little weird. Uh, but I did enjoy the quote from that scene where uh, Sulin says, Some things are made to be touched, handled. You know what's interesting and, is... Which is like the most awkward thing for her to say yes. with the guy who really likes her. Like, the, her whole manner of speech there, in my opinion, comes across as, I'm flirting with you. Yeah. Yeah. But her body language and... The actual words she uses at the end of the conversation scream, sexual harassment lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just thought was bizarre. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think I would take a hint. Yeah. Or I would think that someone, a woman is hinting to me if she were to say something like that to me. <laughs> I would think that. Um... Okay, so next thing I wrote down is uh, we have the scene where, you know, John Watson's oh, buying groceries. He's in the you check it scan line and he's having all sorts of trouble. I don't really care about that. I just, I hate the you scan up line. I never use them unless I absolutely so have to. I, I wrote this down because I knew this topic was going to come up. Oh. I always use the you scan it line. And I hate it when the use scan lines are shut down. So here's my reasoning. I don't have to talk to a person. Sure. I just go and I check out at my own speed. I, no one asks me how my day was. They don't try to make small talk while they're scanning my groceries. I just go. I can keep my headphones on. I continue to listen to my audiobook, And I check out and I go. No one bothers me. I get that. I get that. I managed to have zero conversation with people other than their, did you find everything okay? Yes. That, and that's usually about as far as it goes, unless it's a checker that I like. And there are a couple that are like, okay, they're like reasonably good people and they, you know, do their job exceptionally well. But I refuse to use the you check it because of my laziness. I don't want to have to do all of the work scanning it. I'm part of the cost of this food is that grocery worker there. And so by using the you check it, I'm still paying for them and I'm doing their work. So I refuse to do their work. <laughs> I'm going to have them do it for me. I, you know, I am, I'm fine with paying a premium for my groceries to <laughs> not have to talk to the cashier. 
I'm okay with that. One and day, my, it, it'll all be tagged, and you can just start, put everything in your pockets and just walk out of the store, and it'll automatically... And it just deducts from yes. your bank, yeah. From my, Aaron's bank account. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Uh, my wife will always be like, why do you go to this lane? It's so much faster to go to the cashier's lane. I'm like, I don't care. If I go here, I don't have to talk to anybody. And it's worth it. I don't care if I have to stand here for an hour while a hundred people go through that line over there <laughs> to avoid having to do, to do the stupid small talk thing. Which, I don't know how you get so lucky, but prior to them installing U-Scan-It at most of the places I shop, I would always they'd be like, so do you have any kids? Are you married? I noticed you're wearing a ring. Are you married? How long have you been married? Do you guys live here? Or are you visiting? From? I'm like, I don't want to give you my life story. Please just ring up my groceries. And it's just it's just bizarre how you know the the conclusion I've come to is that must be the kind of person that's drawn to being a cashier is the kind of person that's like I want to stand here and have conversations with random people all day. I appreciate those conversations more than the cashiers having conversations over my head. <laughs> that bugs me to no end. It's like, hey, yeah, uh, yeah, joke, yeah, joke, yeah, punchline, yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm like, will you please just focus on Do your job? Up my things, please? Um, yeah, I, I, w- I would rather, I, I just don't have them bother me. Yeah. Like, they say, like, stuff to me, but my body language and the way I answer generally gets across the message that I'm not interested in having a conversation. Interesting. Uh, I keep my head down, eyes down. I don't usually make Don't make eye contact. contact. Don't make eye contact. I'm always telling myself that. Don't make eye contact. Look at their name badge. Don't look at their eyes. <laughs> yeah, but then you get the you know checker who's like, hey, pal, I'm up here. Too bad. I'm down here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> hey, pal, I'm up here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. You, you jumped over the opening sequence. I don't, I don't think I noticed the opening sequence in the pilot episode. Uh, but they do an interesting thing in the opening sequence, which is tilt-shift photography. I think we've talked about this briefly on the podcast before. It, it's this idea of taking photos from a high angle and then playing with the sharpness on one spot and then blurring everything else dramatically enough that it makes it look like you're taking photos of miniatures. Even it's though, cool. it, yeah, even I though like it's it. real. So I, I, I just bring it up because I'm actually working on a piece of software that you'll be able to give it any photo... And you draw a circle oh, cool. on it, and it will tilt shift that part of the photo. What uh, what kind of resolution does the photo need to be? Does it, it need to be a high res? No. The, the higher resolution it is, the better the effect will work. But the software I'm writing is just going to do a sharpen on what's inside the circle, a blur on what's outside the circle, and then shift the colors a little bit to the more you extreme totally end of the spectrum. You should sell that to Facebook for like a billion dollars. <laughs> I could be the next Instagram. I think you could. <laughs> Is this a Joey Smith product that we're building, or is this like yeah, just something I'm just something I'm doing? Oh, to learn to learn the math behind it. That's very neat. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we have a bank break-in, and there is some secret code, which we come to learn is a secret code, but it looks like graffiti, like someone's vandalized. Uh, Can I just say that all graffiti looks about that readable to me? Yeah, I've never understood graffiti. Like, I know people who can stand there and read it like it's written yeah. in plain English. I can't do that. Well, you can look at uh, various characters on a computer screen and say, oh, yeah, 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 
there's your problem in the code. You, you aren't doing anything correctly. <laughs> you know? So you do it just as okay. much as they do. All right. So it's just another form of a language that's that's that fair. is so bizarre to me. Like, it doesn't, I don't, it doesn't have meaning to me, graffiti. I don't know. Okay. Um, okay, so we have the bank break-in, and Sherlock is supposed to figure out how this happened, because this is the day and age we live in. We log everything, even when the bathroom stall door opens, <laughs> which I find hard to believe that they went to the trouble to put some sort of a chip in, in the, the bathroom. bathroom stall. I Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's just a London thing. I don't believe it. Well, they do have closed-circuit television everywhere in London. <laughs> so maybe they have chips and everything, too. <laughs> Why not? I know they have lots of fish and chips. <laughs> yes, they do, sir. <laughs> um, so they're on the case. And, uh, you know, Sherlock manages to kind of figure it out. He's like, oh, it can only be seen from yeah. this Vantage I, I actually really like that scene as he's like bobbing up and down and going around and people are like, like just imagine you're sitting at work and some guy comes into your office and he's just doing that. It would be the most <laughs> you'd be like, what is going on here? Because <laughs> nobody bothered to explain apparently to any of the employees that this guy's coming in. And he's just like walking into people's cubicles and I don't remember. Did he have like a little uh, badge on that indicated? I don't think like, so, no, he just had a scarf. Okay, they are all terrible employees. For not getting up and saying, excuse me, sir, who are you and what are you doing in this secure area? Uh, that shouldn't be allowed. Um, anyway, so he figures out and he's going to take the case. And so they're like, okay, here's his check for $5,000. He's like, I don't want the money. Fifty. No, it was only $5,000. Okay. In the end, they get a check for $20,000. Oh, okay. Uh, and so uh, Watson is like, Oh, this is so awesome. And you could just see him not like not wanting to like just grab that check right away. Actually I really like like the there's this look on his face at one point of just like disgust of like he just walked away from this. <laughs> like he's holding the check and he's looking down and he's like I I hate this man. <laughs> uh, and what's funny that for me is he's like, Oh no. He he's kidding. Uh, shall I look after that for him? And takes the check and, you know, puts it into uh, his pocket. Uh, because he's, I, we get the sense that he's kind of running out of money. Yeah, yeah. He's, and, <laughs> his credit card got declined at the... Um, okay, so in the midst of their searchings around, they're going after some guy, Van Coon. Uh-huh. Is that his name? Yes. They find him dead in his apartment. And apparently, it's like... No way that the that anyone could have gotten in. So the police are thinking that this is a suicide. Yeah. So this is another reference to a Doyle story, the Sinophore, the locked room where you know all the windows are shut and barred from the inside, doors locked from the inside. Person's dead. Okay. This guy was murdered, and Sherlock mentally slaps around this uh, <laughs> this new inspector. It's not Lestrade. It's somebody else. Yeah. And uh, basically, it just it's like, okay, you want me to prove this? Fine. Look at all this evidence. <laughs> Shall I go on? No, I think you made your point. That's okay. I'm almost at the bottom of the list anyway. <laughs> it's a good moment. Uh, um, 
Okay, my next note is Watson goes searching for a new job. Okay, before that, we had uh, the way that they got into the guy's flat in the first place. Well, not so much how they got in, but when when Holmes is talking to the the lady who's just moved in. Oh, to sure. To the intercom. Yes. I've gotten in that way before. Uh, so have I. But the, the interesting thing to me, the thing that I liked here is what Benedict Cumberbatch did. I don't know if you noticed this, but if not, I would encourage you to go back and watch just that scene again. He actually, the actor gives us the facial expressions of the people on both ends of that conversation. So as he's talking, he's doing one facial expression. And then he changes his face while she's talking to be exactly what we should be imagining is the expression on her face. Hmm. It was a very, a very neat thing that they did to give us, because all we hear is this disembodied voice, and to give us some visual cue as to what emotion that voice was trying to express, Benedict Cumberbatch takes his face through the range of emotions from, oh, I'm this innocent person trying to get into the flat, and then, you know, slightly suspicious look. Well, you know, just, just the way he did that, I thought was was a very, very cool thing to do. I don't know if that was something the director came up with or if that was something the actor came up with, but I really appreciated it. I thought they did a good job there. I'm not sure I see what you see in that, but uh, I I like the fact that you think it's there because it sounds really interesting <laughs> that they would do something like that. I, I think that would be unique. So they get in, they look around, they're on their way, and... They, I think it's something, don't they go back to the guy, um, the friend of Sherlock, and say, hey, look, someone's been murdered, yes. and yeah. hey, this is kind of a bigger thing. And the guy's like a jerk back to him. He's like, stay on the case. I didn't hire you to solve murders. Well, the guy's just kind of a type A, a personality. Well, that's a weird thing to say. Like, you just found out someone in your office was murdered, and you say... Hey, we're not paying you to solve murders. That's weird. Okay. I find that weird. I, it, it, I, I don't know if they did that to help throw things off so you would start to find that person suspicious. I think it's just so that we get the sense that that guy's a jerk. Hmm. The first time I watched it, it made me suspicious of him. Okay. Uh, okay, so Watson searches for a job. And uh, he goes to this, uh, I'm assuming this, uh, not hospital, but like clinic. A clinic, yeah. And uh, he's going to be a, a doctor there. Um, and we meet this very nice, sweet lady. Sarah. Okay, Sarah. Which I'm assuming that's the name of his, his girl. Yes. In the original stories. Um, and so he's going to get a job. Which is good for him. He's not going to live on the dole. Uh, my next note is we have a new dead person. Can we do that? Is, is there something you need to, to cover? No. Like I said, I don't have a ton of notes here, so... I, I, I think you're okay. Up. Well, before before he's dead, before he's a dead person, he's running. This is the, the old heavy set guy running down the street. Who turns out to be a reporter. Yeah. And, and so the, 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 the question I have here is, how would you... What would you do if you were being chased by an unstoppable assassin? Like, what are you going to do? If What's your I plan? knew who was chasing me, like this guy knew who was chasing him, I think I might be as, like, so incredibly terrified as that. 
that guy. Okay. I might consider just turning myself in. In the case of this reporter guy, the guy who ends up dead, he's a bad guy. We come to find out at the end. He's, when you say he's turning, a smuggler. When you say turning himself in, I mean, go, to the, go to the police. Okay, yeah. for protection. Um, if I couldn't go to the police or some sort of authority, um, I have no idea what I would do. I'm pretty sure I would be lost. I would be huddled <laughs> in my closet um, in like... Uh, you know, uh, a burlap bag or something like that, pretending to just be a lump of nothing. <laughs> they won't notice the burlap bag. You know, I, I don't you know, know. Everyone has one of those full of something laying in their closet. <laughs> don't they? No. No? I, I don't think so. I certainly don't have a burlap bag. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I, anyway, this guy, he ends up dead. They kill him. And again, it's kind of... Did they kind of make it out to look like a suicide again? I no, he was clearly it. shot, from, shot from across the room or something like that. But again, it's from a situation where... There's no way, it seems, that the, the, the murderer got in. Right. But, they, but they, la- they list it as a murder right away. Yeah. Um, and at this point, I think we, we bring up cryptography and how incredibly important it is in our society nowadays. Back in the day, it was just, you know, it wasn't that widely used. You know, there were spies and, yeah. you know, we had our military secrets. And But nowadays, cryptography is used everywhere. In everything. Yeah. And our lives would not be possible without it. And I was wondering if maybe you wanted to take a couple of minutes and just kind of describe what cryptography is What's so unique about it from a programming computer perspective? Like, does it really protect us? Okay. Is it is it very secure? Well, it's as secure as you make it. Here's my thing. <laughs> I don't do online banking. I try okay. and do very little things online because I don't trust the internet. I've worked in it now for six years. People... I do not trust the internet. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things like, uh, you know, working at McDonald's, you probably wouldn't ever work at, eat, eat at McDonald's <laughs> eat <there>. again afterwards. <laughs> I, you know, I think you have a point there. But, you know, so cryptography does touch every aspect of our lives. If, you know, if you've ever purchased anything with a credit card, you're, you're actually putting your financial information out on the internet. Yep. So for you to say that you don't do the internet, I think is a little bit disingenuous, Pete. Not um, the traditional source sense of the yeah, internet. Yeah, that's true. You don't, you don't go shopping on Amazon. Not unless I can help it. I mean, not if you can help it. Not unless. <laughs> you have me lost now. Um, so the, the, in, the interesting thing with cryptography and computers is... When we make computers, we are trying to make a deterministic machine. That means a machine where we know at any given point in time what state it's in. What is it doing right now? How did it get there? And where is it going next? Cryptography is... is the, the foundation of cryptography is non-determinism. Not knowing where we are now. Not knowing how we got here. And not knowing where we're going to go next. Uh, so... One of the one of the truly interesting problems in electronic cryptography is the generation of random numbers. It's actually really, really 
really hard to make random numbers with a computer. In fact, it's hard enough that banks that actually want to keep their customers' data secure buy special machines that are Geiger counters with a, a little, usually a little, a little piece of cesium hooked up to a Geiger counter, and they're measuring the emission of uh, You're kidding me. radioactive particles from that cesium and that's where this, that's just because that is a, as far as we know, because it's that's just kind truly of random. In like all sorts of like, it could be hitting the scale at any different point right. along. Okay. Yeah. That, that is, wow. The release of, of radioactive particles from, or the release of ionic particles from radioactive material, as far as we know, is a truly random event. If you actually want true random numbers, which, you know, again, like somebody who, like Amazon, who has to generate billions of random numbers a day. I mean... I just assumed that they were employing people at the back, like, rolling D10s <laughs> all the time. It's like, just, okay, okay, you, there's you, the you, string. You, you go just ahead, got a guy go, in the back who's, put this up who, who's hitting the number one over and over again. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, you know, it's actually... I, I, I've dealt quite a bit with cryptography in computers. In fact, I... Uh, about three or four years ago, I found a bug in the industry standard implementation of the Blowfish encryption algorithm, which is used in most password hashing systems that by people who actually know what they're doing, they're using Blowfish. And I found a bug in in the most common implementation of it and reported it. And it's actually like, I put it on my resume when I'm going to apply for a job. I'm like, how many people can say that? That they actually found a bug in a piece of cryptography that's used Everywhere. It's here's the, all here's over the, the world. point of the story that he's not telling folks. He found it a year before he bothered to actually report it. <laughs> so he was abusing it for I, a year, got everything out of it that he was I, going I, I believe to. the meme I'm supposed to say is I'm in your base killing all your guys. <laughs> <laughs> all your base are belong to us. It, you know, it, it, it's really interesting because. The unfortunate thing is that most of the people out there writing websites don't care. They just don't know that they should care. Uh, you know, there have been some pretty high-profile breaches in the past few years. The most recent one that was kind of like the shocker that knocked the IT world on its rear end was LinkedIn. I don't know if you heard about this. LinkedIn, the social network, the, the professional advancement social network, had, oh, I did. I did had a bunch of their this. passwords stolen. And they were doing a thing called hashing to the passwords, but they were doing it wrong. They didn't know what they were, like, they did, like, the most rudimentary understanding of hashing, and they weren't actually protecting anyone's passwords. And there's a website you can go into, and you can type in your LinkedIn password, and it'll tell you, yep, yours has been broken. (laughs) (laughs) Which uh, affirms why I did never get in on LinkedIn. There you go. Good for me. Good for me. I got on LinkedIn, but uh, I believe my password was one two three four five six seven eight, and I didn't tie it to any other useful data anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's password, but the A is actually a four. Oh, clever, yeah. clever! No one will ever guess that one. Yeah. Uh, if if you well, they'll are, they'll just know it now. They won't have to guess it. <laughs> if you're looking to create good passwords for yourself, you want to make sure that your your passwords are not easily hacked. Um, what I recommend is going to a website called passwordchart.com 
and they give you two boxes and it generates a very strong random looking number or, or a string of characters out of combining those two pieces of information in interesting ways and and then you don't remember your password because it's too long and complex and nobody's ever going to bother remembering them. You just have to remember, oh, I'm trying to log into gmail.com and I remember one password that's common across all these websites. It's probably not the strongest practice in the world, but the advantage it gives me is that even if someone were to get the password that I use to log into my Gmail, it doesn't give them any clue whatsoever of what the original password was and therefore they can't then go chain that off into other websites. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so things can be secure, just you have to go through a lot to ensure that they're, yeah. you know, things are actually secure. Um, cryptography is important. If you're looking for a good job, become a cryptographer uh, in, in that industry because I don't see that ever stopping and I think we're just going to need to get more and more complex. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, stay in your math classes, everyone, <laughs> uh, if you, if you want to be in that career. Um, now that we've given the career advice to our uh, youngest listeners, um, <laughs> I guess we can move on. Uh, that was good, by the way. That was good. That was good. Didn't Bob and SpongeBob say they listen to this around their kids? <laughs> maybe maybe so. we just gave some career advice legitimately. <laughs> yes. To the, you know, four-year-old that uh, yeah. may be listening. Well, you know, you can't start them too early. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. You know, before we get, before we move on here, I just want to say, I I had sent out an email to Brainsmurf. I guess I got it out too late in order for him to see it and get back to us tonight. But when they go into the Chinese curiosity shop to, and they find the code, uh, there's this little statue of a waving cat. Now, I could just Google this myself, but I think it would be more entertaining if our listeners all sent in their thoughts on why <laughs> China is so fascinated with cats that wave. <laughs> I don't think it's <laughs> as fascinated as you think it is. Well, I, I'm just saying it's a, it's a thing you see in a lot of different people's homes, and you see it in movies, you see it in actual curiosity shops, you know, around in, in the actual real world. I, I, I want to know what the deal is. And I could just go look it up on Wikipedia. But I, that's I, less I'm entertaining even, than having people <laughs> guess. <laughs> I've never even seen that. I didn't know really? if that was some sort of a thing. They sell them at Ming's. They have a whole rack full of them over of on the waving site. waving cat? Yes, that little waving cat. Okay. We will ha- point this out to me okay. next time we're there. You, you, have you not seen the rack of figurines that they I've sell? I've seen the rack of figurines. Okay, so I half of one of those shelves is the little cat with its arm up. Okay, I, I haven't seen that. I will have to be more observant. <laughs> um, okay, so, so just a touch before that, we have, uh, they figure out, you know, oh, it's this shop that this guy's been going to, that both of them are going to. My question is, who keeps track of everywhere they go in a diary? A journalist. I, I, don't, I, I, I don't, don't know. Who would? Why would you do that? Now, granted, I am not a diary person. I don't keep a journal. It's tough for me to even write in my blog. So I, I get that I'm not the type of person who does that. But it just seems odd to me that that people would write that type of minutiae down. Well... I don't know about writing it down, but 
It doesn't seem that odd to me because I see people constantly checking into their fourth square to say, hey, I went to Best Buy today. <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? I, like my wife posts things on Facebook about, oh yeah, I just got back from the grocery store. I'm like, why are you writing that on Facebook? Who cares? <laughs> I'm married to you and I don't care that you just got back from the grocery store. <laughs> I don't think that's the response you should have, Joey. A little late for that advisory, but thank you. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, it's not that unusual in our world today for people to post that kind of weird minutia online. So I don't think it's that much of an, ex- uh, an extension of, you know, I, I guess I just willing I, disbelief. I want to understand that type of person, like that that type of mental capacity that is doing that. Like, what's going through their head that they want to remember that? What's going through people's head that they want to Twitter? Tweet. Oh. Sorry, <laughs> wrong verb. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I. I just wish I. It's so not ingrained in me. For for whatever reason, you know, whether it be that I'm paranoid that you know people, you know, they're gonna find me, they're out to get me, or it's just I'm lazy, or you know, I I just don't care about writing that stuff down. Well, I. What is it about these other people that they that they do feel the need to write some of that stuff down? I, I don't understand. I don't either. Maybe one of our listeners does. Okay. Is New Scotland Yard an actual thing? I think they, so. They show the sign New Scotland Yard. I'm like, why wouldn't they just call it Scotland Yard? Because it's new. Is it? I mean, like, did they move they it or something? They have it on a sign. It says new. <laughs> I'm just, you can't disagree with that. I, I'm wondering if that's just for television or if that's actually what it's really called now. Did they say we're going to take you down to New Scotland Yard? I don't know. We need to find <laughs> out. Bob, Sorry. Cy, yeah. we need you to commit a crime and see if you get taken t- to New t- Scotland Yard. Tell us, when they tell you, are they? do they announce that they're taking you to Scotland Yard or to <laughs> New Scotland Yard? Podca- or, or, podcast wants to know. Yes. You don't necessarily have to get arrested, although that would be the most enjoyable form for me. Maybe if maybe if Bob could get arrested, SpongeBob could tell us when they call her. (laughs) He's down at New Scotland Yard. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Any of those options would be fine. Uh, Whichever you're most comfortable with, let us know. (laughs) Uh, So Sherlock gets attacked by um, and doesn't get killed. Which is odd, but we'll find out there's a reason for it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's weird that they figure out that this woman, that, like, how do they know to go into this flat? That's what I don't get. Here's one of the plot points that just doesn't really make sense to me that I think they just automatically make this leap that they have no connection to. Because they're across the street um, looking at something. I don't remember if they just came there's, out of... They're at a diner, I think, sitting down. Yeah. And then they look across the street and they see this... Um, a phone book wrapped phone in... phone book wrapped up in plastic, but they're like, oh, hey, when was the last time it rained? And so they, he goes and looks at it and sees, like, you know, it's, it's wet. Okay... <laughs> But why did they think that this apartment, 
this one apartment is somehow related to what it is that they're doing. They were talking about how it would have to be someone that was within eyesight of this place or something like that. I can't remember now. They, they, I but think but it ends up being Sue Lin's yes. apartment. I don't, I, I'm not saying it was a good thing. I, I agree with you. It was kind of like it's one of it's a leap in the plot that we have no explanation for, other than the phone book. And by the way, I have a phone book in a plastic bag sitting on my porch. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's been there for about eight months. <laughs> so I found that whole thing particularly fishy. Because I'm like, yeah, I don't use a phone book, so I didn't pick up the phone book. I didn't ask for it. Someone dropped it on my porch. It's going to stay right there. <laughs> Maybe they, you know, left it there. They're coming back to pick it up It's later. not mine. So, someone else left it there. I, I'm fine with them storing stuff on my porch, apparently. <laughs> I'm so hoping for the next time we come over. Like, there's this pile of phone books. And there. Like, Joey's like, ah, someone delivered a phone book again. It's just like... Throws it over into the into the pile. I, I think at one point we had three phone books on our porch, all sitting in the stacked in the corner. If you look to your right, there's four <laughs> phone books right there. Right right, no, yeah, right there. I have phone. I probably have like probably maybe ten or a dozen phone books <laughs> in this house somewhere, just because I'm not gonna get rid of them. Like it's just it's ingrained inside me to not get rid of a phone book. Okay. Besides, you're, you know you're somebody when you've made it into the phone book. <laughs> that's from that's from uh, the jerk with Steve Martin. He's like, oh, I'm in the phone book. Yeah, I'm somebody. You know, I've never seen that movie. You, it's it, it's pretty. You're speaking inappropriate. Uh, like, there's a lot, there's a lot of language. But it's hilarious. Honest to goodness, it's, in my opinion, one of Steve Martin's best films. Okay. Um, and I, like, right up there with uh, The Three Amigos. Like, even, even better than The Three Amigos. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> you didn't care for Three Amigos? Uh, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I, I'm more of a fan of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Didn't ever get through that. I think that one's much better than Three Amigos, personally. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the jerk is is funny. It's uh, it's got the line Steve Martin's like says, "I was raised a poor black man," <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's literally he's an idiot. He is just an idiot, and uh, it's a funny story. Okay. Funny story. Carl Reiner's in it. You know. Oh yeah. I think Rob Reiner may have directed it. I may have made that up. I don't know. Um, okay, so why would they put the symbols on the wall? So we figured out, oh, okay, we need to go after these symbols. And why are they displaying these symbols, like, off in a rail yard? And I know they kind of explain it in the episode because they're like, Oh, they're putting this out there for all of their people to see. They're spreading a message out. Yeah. I it just it just seems odd that they would choose to put it 
there. It's an, again, it's another one of those plot points that you know, for me, I actually have way more of a problem with them breaking into the bank to spray paint it on the wall than I do with them spray painting. Spray painting in the rail yard makes perfect sense to me. No, the bank makes more, way more no, sense. No, no, no. The, the bank, they should have done it somewhere like like the front of his house. Some publicly accessible thing that they knew he looked at every day. Instead of breaking into the bank to do it. Because then all they did is draw the attention of, of the authorities to investigate the bank break-in. Which is what they were trying to do. They were, were they, trying to get Sherlock involved. Were they trying to get Sherlock involved, or did they decide that Sherlock was involved and so they were going to use that? Uh, causation... In doubt. Maybe. Okay. But, still, it does send a message to the guy who's like, Oh my gosh, you can get to me even here. But they already knew that. They knew who this the spider guy was. Okay. Don't know. Oh. Before we move on from this. Yes. So Watson finds it. He gets a hold of Sherlock and they bring him over. And it's like, oh my gosh, it was just here. They just spray painted over it. Like they just removed it. And Sherlock's like, okay, John, I need you to focus <laughs> right now. It's like the human brain only and it starts throwing out all of these weird facts that would cause me to think, wait, what? I don't remember anything. <laughs> uh, but he's like spinning them around and around and Watson's like, wait, what? No, I, I took a picture of it. Here. <laughs> so once again, this, this? Is, this is Watson's episode. I, well, I, I don't really care about that. That I know, doesn't just, bother I'm just, me. I'm just pointing it out. I'm saying. It's another point, piece of evidence in my this is Watson's episode arsenal. I, I just find that to be probably the funniest scene in the entire episode. <laughs> yeah. It because it is so hilarious that, you know, Sherlock just misses on something. It's like the, the easiest, most simplest, ah, I took a picture of it. You know, we don't have to, you know, do this weird thing where you're maybe going to sink into my brain somehow by spinning around enough. Um, so, uh, we come to find out who Sue Lin is. She, and we also find out that she's a smuggler. And we find her there hiding in the museum because she had still been... Taking care of the teapots. So, my question to you, Pete. Is there any piece of art or culture that you're willing to... No. I can't imagine having any amount of devotion to a thing that badly. I, I really can't. It seems weird. It's very weird. I would agree. It's very, very bizarre. Um, I think maybe there might be... I don't know what it is. And I think there might be something that I would risk getting arrested over just to make sure it's safe. I just don't know what it is. Like, maybe Monet's water ring. lilies or something? The one ring. <laughs> I'm wearing that right now. Oh, I see. That's why you can't see me. <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was interesting. The idea that, wow, I am so passionate about these pots that I will break back into the museum at night, risk arrest, risk being captured by the my brother who's trying to kill me. Well, was she breaking back in, or was she actually hiding out there? I got the sense that she was hiding in oh, the museum. Okay. okay. So to me, that part of it made sense. Why she's continuing to you know care for these pots, I found a bit silly. 
Um, I think Watson should have stayed with the woman. Yes. I mean, aside from, yes, she gets shot, and we all know that, you know, it would have been better if she had not been shot. I think you should stay with the person who is, you know, is being hunted. Hunted. Yeah. So, it, I, I'm not going to call it cowardly, but I don't think that uh, he was being very smart. He wasn't being very chivalrous. Huh? No, no, he wasn't. And that is the home of chivalry. No? The museum? Uh, England. Oh. <laughs> Just assume. Okay. All right. The next thing I have is the circus. I don't know if you have something before then. Yes. I don't believe that the auction results would be listed online the way that Sherlock is able to go searching for them. Okay. In my opinion, I think those are closely guarded. Maybe the big stuff, the high price items, maybe that's going to be listed out there. But in my opinion, I would think that that would be something that is, you know, an anonymous buyer for an anonymous amount, you know, purchased this thing. I just, I don't believe that this, this database exists of all of these things that you can go searching around it. But again, I could be wrong about that. I just found that part of it a little suspicious, okay. a little too easy. Just because, I don't know, maybe maybe this is a very big auction house and they pay people to sit around and do that sort of data entry type of stuff. You have to remember, Sherlock is a, a master hacker because he's able to send a mass text. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. It's impossible to do. There's no way to know how he did it. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of books. Then they head to the Chinese circus. Yeah. Because uh, John's going on a date with Sarah. Yep. And so Sherlock says, hey, you know what? I think you should go here. Uh, which is a setup because Sherlock shows Jones up. Them. <laughs> and it's all part of, you know, the investigation still. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> John is a little, uh, Watson's not too happy about the fact that Sherlock is tagging <laughs> along. Um, and By the way... Totally think you should take me on your first date with you know, oh, the future Mrs. Nash. No. Okay, fine. I'll do that as long as we are working on a case <laughs> involving <to> her <laughs> who's been smuggling these things and why they're killing all of these people. I think I can arrange that. <laughs> Aaron, we need to have a chat. No. No. Oh, no. What have I done? Um, okay, the first trick that they show you, I don't think it's all that yeah, impressive. Either. Yeah, it's just it's timing because it all looked like the guy was like, uh, uh, I pulled my arm out of a chain that wasn't really that tightly wound around <laughs> me. Oh, and look, I have a key which I'm gonna go put up in this lock right now, and I'll wait and wait and wait. Ah, dramatic point. Now I'll drop out of the way. I found that so unbelievable. I'll be honest. I thought the first time I watched this episode, the the noises that guy was making, uh, I sincerely thought that he was going to be 
another person who oh, was a smuggler. Okay, another smuggler. And he had his mouth duct taped over <laughs> and he was trying to say, No, no, <laughs> this is not a magic trick. They're trying to kill me. <laughs> oh, man. Death is so funny. Um, okay. Um, the, the whole Chinese circus thing, I, I found myself really unimpressed by. Yeah, which is a shame. I, I think that lends itself to the production just didn't do a very good job. I've been to a Chinese circus before. The the Peking uh, circus came to town. Amazing what these people could do with their bodies. Absolutely astounding. This, it seemed more mystic and ooh, instead of, you know, truly showing off uh, a wondrous form of art, in my opinion. If you ever get the chance to go and see a Chinese circus... Well, what I, I was going to say is, I, I've seen Cirque du Soleil several times. Yeah, which is, it's the French. Ew. It's actually the Canadians. Oh. <laughs> the French Canadians. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you're right there. Um, but, you know, while not a Chinese circus necessarily, they are very, very talented acrobats and contortionists and, and escape artists. And they do some very, very cool things. And compared to compared to that, this was kind of like this is like the the ghetto version of a Chinese circus. I mean, it's just very low budget, very cheaply put on. And, and you're right; it may be down to the controlling the cost of the production of the episode. Yeah. Um, so we have this fight there. You know, Sherlock kind of figures out. Aha! They've been storing their Spray paint cans here. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, they, they find out there's a big fight. Um, and then they rush off home to do more detective work. Sarah comes along. And one of the, probably the second most funny thing in this episode is watching Sherlock being so annoyed with Sarah. <laughs> and just like, like... He does as much as he is willing to do to, like, hide his annoyance yeah. with her. Because he doesn't like her, doesn't want her there, and she clearly isn't going anywhere either. <laughs> uh, very fun scene to, to watch that happen because you can, you can feel how much he doesn't yep, want this yep, woman okay. around. I, I, I like also like John rooting through the cupboards trying to find a <laughs> snack for Sarah. And then he opens up that bottle. Of <laughs> he's, like, he's like, whoa. Mm. <laughs> oh, no. And then puts it up on the counter. I'm like, wait, no, no, no. Throw it in the trash, dude. Someone's going to open that and eat them. <laughs> I could not live in that flat. There's no way I could. Uh, okay. Watson and Sarah get kidnapped. Yep. And that's where, you know, the mistaken identity happens. Here's probably the biggest flaw that I have in this. The Chinese woman is just so incredibly over the top. Yeah, I can see that. It, she, she reminds me of a bad Bond villain. And, like, the whole sunglasses in that incredibly dark um, train, <laughs> train tunnel. Yeah. Like, serious? Like, everything oh. about her is, like, supposed to be, oh, I'm so great, I've found you. They, they couldn't give her a mustache to twirl, so no. they had to give her sunglasses. 
that is the worst part about this episode. Okay, I, I, I can buy that. Person. Yeah, Shaw or Shen, Shaw, something like that. Um. Anyway, so they manage to fight him off. Sherlock dances around in the shadows, and they're they're able to save Sarah from getting shot by the uh... <laughs> ridiculous contraption. <laughs> So, that, that again, that's another point where it's sort of like, that's what makes me feel like Bond villain. I actually like that. I thought it was kind of campy in a fun way. It, it made me think of the uh, my, my favorite ever adaptation of Sherlock Holmes, which is The Great Mouse Detective. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, it's, it's sad. Nothing but... <laughs> wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, and, and, you know, they're at the end of, towards the end of that, when they're captured by the bad guy, and he puts them in, in his death trap machine. And he's like, as soon as this timer goes off, that gun will shoot you, and this crossbow bolt will split you in half, and this <laughs> anvil will drop and crush you. And he's got like 27 different ways that they're going to die all nearly simultaneously. <laughs> that's what it always reminds me of, that scene. I'm always just like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just like that. Um, okay, uh, I wrote down the quote, I go where you point me. Uh, because this is the uh, uh, the inspector who they've okay. been working with, who hasn't liked Sherlock at all. All of a sudden, now he's, everything's been lined up for him. He's like, "Okay, I'm a believer. Whatever you say, I'm gonna go and do." So Sherlock picked up another proselyte, you know, due to his um, you know extreme powers of deduction, um, and then they. The woman gets away, but then she doesn't get away because apparently Moriarty is behind it all. Um, and or it could be listener M. <laughs> <laughs> We're not sure yet. Wow. Well done, Joey. Well done. Uh, yeah, it could be listener M. I, ha- I haven't seen uh, episode three yet. Uh, oh, no, I have seen it. I know it's not. Well, no, I've never met listener M. Be Moriarty throwing us off the scent the whole time. Um, anyway, she gets shot. Yeah, which uh, it's a little disturbing. Apparently, she is some great. Uh, um, she's part of the Tong uh, gang, but Moriarty is able to find her and have her killed. Yeah, he had he had and, no. Yeah, it's a pretty brutal thing to do. Yeah. Like just kill someone. So we know he's not some person who's just sort of like, ah, I'm going to go after Sherlock. Yes, and we know that he has a sniper at his command, too, which is important. Yeah. Okay, um, should we do emails? Yeah. All right, so we'll do Brainy Smurf first. He says, I like the Chinese themes, but was bummed out when the number system turned out to be something other than the Mandarin. Uh, I am, uh, sorry, other than the Mandarin I am familiar with. The code-breaking was fun, but this villain was kind of lame to me. Altogether, the story was moderately compelling, with a moderate Western rating as well. Sci-Fi 3, TV 7, Western 5. Later, Dudes Ambassador Brainy Smurf. I think I agree with him. And you, you're going to give the Western of 5 as well? No. <laughs> Uh, Bob, he says, Hi, fellas. I hope that you had a great week. Mine has been a mixed bag. The month of fasting is almost over, 
But the news that Robert, Robin Van Persie has left Arsenal, the football team that I support for arch-rivals Manchester United, has left a bitter taste in my mouth. The only thing good about the deal is that Arsenal received 20 million, uh, 24 million pounds in return for the transfer. Wow. The real kicker was that he was our club captain and probably our best player. But hey, it's time to move on. He's right. R Robin Van Persie is an amazing uh, player. He, he better be for $50 million. <laughs> well, $37 million. Oh. Um, I thought, I thought the pound was worth double... No, about one and a half. Oh, okay. Uh, or at least last time I checked, it was about one and a half. Um, uh, Robin Van Persie is... He's amazing. He's Dutch. Um, and he is... <laughs> it, it's, it's amazing to watch him because I personally think, or at least watching uh, some of the Premier League last year, I didn't feel like Arsenal really played that well. Um, but he was the shining beacon okay. on the team. Like the, the that man can do amazing things with you soccer. Know, this walking. conversation is more entertaining to me when the most adjectivey word you could think of him was for him was Dutch. <laughs> 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 like he's Dutch, and uh, and then he just kind of faded. <laughs> he's got black hair, um, and he's about six feet tall, and he's skinny. Um, yeah, he's. It's going to be interesting how they use him on Man U because um, with Wayne Rooney being up there and they also have, um, although Nanny is really just a, he's a midfielder. Who do they have? Oh, I can't remember who they have up front with, uh, with Rooney. Um, but th that would be a powerhouse to put Rooney and Van Persie up there together. Go Chelsea. Go Chelsea. <laughs> Hey, why not? They uh, they won the uh, um, UEFA Champions League, so that's something. They wear the color blue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. Um, okay, he continues on. Uh, oh, by the way, um, uh, Bob, if you want to talk um, the English Premier League, I am more than happy to get in on this. As I think I've mentioned before, I've got the Premier Package now with my cable, and so I get Fox Soccer Channel, which plays a l not all of them, but I think most of the uh, Premier uh, games. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be up to speed on everything now. Are we going to have to have a spin-off podcast? <laughs> yes. The Home Starry presents the Trek West 5 Premier League podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, Barclays Premier League. Uh, what have you guys thought of the Olympic Games? Did you watch any of it? Was NBC's coverage any good? All the hype surrounding the fact that London would grind to a halt was unfounded, and the Games went off without any problems. <laughs> what? That, that's not the perception that I have, I have heard. Really? Yeah. In addition, Great Britain came third in the medal table which is no mean feat considering the two countries above us have a population of 280 million and 1 billion, respectively. We only have around 60 million people on our small island over this side of the pond. Uh, you didn't hear that about the... I, I heard that numbers? they were a logistical nightmare for the, for the athletes, for the competitors. 
Seems They're, like all the athletes showed up to their events, so what could be a problem? I, I heard a lot of horror stories about like the bus. bus okay, travel. that was before the Olympics started, though. Uh, I also heard some some pretty terrible reports about the Olympic Village that was set up. That the they were just the having housing, sex everywhere. The housing accommodations were not up to spec. Bob, we need you to get to the bottom of this. Yes, some investigative journalism is what's required here. <laughs> we need you to br- break into the Olympic <laughs> Village. Um, I don't know if NBC's coverage was any good. They, you know, I thought it was terrible. Actually, it was really hard to find the events that I wanted to see. Wow! Uh, in what years- were you interested in? Uh, well, women's beach volleyball was everywhere, dude. You yes, I did. I, no right. problem finding I, I did get to see the women's beach volleyball, which I really enjoy. I enjoy Misty May Trainer and, and Carrie Walsh Jennings. I enjoy the Walsh. bathing suits. <laughs> or the lack thereof. Um, I'm trying to think. The, the, the men's gymnastics, we had a hard time finding the the events that we wanted to see in the men's gymnastics. Huh. We could, we got to see the the all around. We basically got to see the Americans get their butts kicked. The American men get their butts kicked, and then after that, not a peep from them for the rest of the Olympics. Yeah, why would we show the stuff we're gonna lose at? <laughs> Pass. <laughs> no, thank you, sir. Plus, it's um, men's gymnastics. Why would you ever want to watch that? My wife and I have watched men's gymnastics every oh. Olympics since we've been married until this one. Uh, the the swimming was well covered. I thought, man, I mean, you know, we got to see Phelps laze his way into a few more gold medals. <laughs> wow. 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 Can you right. swim uh, one lap? I'm throwing the guy down. <laughs> How many podcasts do you run, Mr. Michael Phelps? <laughs> I don't think he was running us down. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, I can say I didn't watch that much of it. I did uh, manage to catch a few of the uh, women's volleyball matches, which uh, were the highlight. I found it difficult to watch the women's gymnastics just because most of them are all underage women wearing basically bathing suits. So I just it's a little awkward for me to watch that. And so it's not something I You're making it something weird. It doesn't have to be weird. I'm just saying... I can't do it. Okay. Um, But I found, I can't remember where I was at. I I probably followed some set of links on the internet. But they said, um, we've, oh, oh, Patrick Rothfuss posted up a link on his Facebook page about uh, someone who's, they were looking for pictures of some certain event and they came across Getty images of the women's volleyball stuff. And it was all shots of women's butts. <laughs> like almost, like uh, sev- most of them were, were that. And so they said, what if we looked at all of the other Olympic events in that same vein? And so they then showed like basketball, gymnastics, <laughs> swimming. But instead of showing women, they showed men. <laughs> so it was... Again, very off-putting to see all of these shots of the male derriere and uh, all of the you know various athletes getting shown. Yeah. I, I thought it was really funny. There, there were a couple other sports that I liked to watch that I didn't get to catch this time around. I could not find coverage of them. Uh, badminton, table tennis, and water polo. 
I think are all fun okay. to watch at the Olympic level. Out of three level. you just mentioned, only one is a real sport. Which one? Water polo. Oh. <laughs> Badminton and ping pong are I... sometimes not sports to you? They're Olympic events. Leisure activities. They are Olympic events, and they are interesting to watch sometimes at the, uh, at the Olympic level. In fact, this time around, I specifically wanted to watch the badminton because of the scandal. Sure. Uh, and could not find the coverage of it. And I was irritated because I wanted, I wanted to see what trying to... I ended up finding it online, but I wanted to see what trying to lose at badminton looks like. Turns out, looks a lot like trying to win at badminton. <laughs> I'm not sure how you tell the difference. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Um, Bob says, leaving sports aside, I watched all six episodes of Sherlock that have been produced so far in a four-day period. Wow. You could say I am all Sherlocked out. A little side joke for anyone who has seen a scandal in Belgravia. Just a few notes about the first episode. I really enjoyed it as an episode which laid the many of the visual styles of the series. Uh, the things like Sherlock being able to deduce aspects of people just by looking at them or the words floating in the air when a text message yeah. arrives are brilliant devices, which I think really helped this reimagining of the story. The plot of this first episode was purely to set up the characters, location, and quirks of the show. It did this well. I am amazed at how quickly 90 minutes passes when you have high quality writing and great performances. Regarding gun law in the UK, a person needs to have a license to carry a firearm. To carry one without a license leads to a 10 year prison sentence and an unlimited fine. The license lasts five years and requires renewal and also requires justification for holding a Interesting. license. So unless John Watson was working private security or went hunting, I am not sure how he got a license for a handgun. I can only assume that he has not been that long out of the military. And that he's still licensed he's for being He's still within that five-year period. Maybe. Okay. Who knows? On to the blind banker. I personally thought this was a stronger episode than A Study in Pink, due to the fact that we have become accustomed to the conventions of the show. We were able to enjoy the story and follow the plot without the added baggage of setting things up. It was a proper detective story, full of intrigue, mystery, and murder. I particularly enjoyed the different means Sherlock employed to decipher the code, such as using the homeless network and using the graffiti artist to learn more about the symbols. One thing I didn't find believable is the case of mistaken identity between Sherlock and Watson towards the end. I found it ham-fisted and couldn't believe that an international crime syndicate <laughs> would make such a simple mistake as that. This episode really highlighted that Sherlock is the brains and that John is the heart of the show. This is clearly symbolized by John wanting something more than his relationship with Sherlock, such as a job and a girlfriend. It felt like Sherlock was jealous of Sarah for taking John away from him. It was a very weird vibe. I particularly liked the ending, where we find out that something so small as a hair clip can cause so much trouble 
violence, and death. I am also loving the revamping of the way Moriarty is shaping. I love the way he is introduced. An aspect I am liking about all these reimaginings of different cultural icons, whether it is Batman or Sherlock Holmes, is the way they are able to incorporate situations and characters that remain fairly true to the source material, but also manage to make these icons uh, contemporary and relevant. I can't wait for you guys to review the final episode of Series 1. Till next week, Bob. Yes. I like that. Yeah. It was a good email, Bob. I really appreciated that. I, I thought... I shouldn't say anything. Never mind. Okay. Don't, don't say anything. Alright, you win. <laughs> do it! I can't do it! No. Okay, what's, what's just been cut out of this podcast, I think we went maybe a minute, minute and a half at best. Complete silence, just staring at each other, giggling. Because I said, alright, don't say anything. And Joey didn't say anything. I finally, I finally caved. I couldn't do it. Uh, okay. Ratings? Yes. Pete? Television rating. I am only going to give this a six. Okay. I enjoyed certain aspects of it, as I mentioned, but too many of this was just clunky. Okay. I'm going to give it a seven. I think, uh, you know, overall it's still the good acting, the good portrayals. I like what they're doing with the story. Uh, You know, I'm just giving it some knocks for the Chinese circus, and then, as you said, the kind of the melodrama at the end of, of, you know, oh, I'm the bad guy. I wear dark sunglasses at night <laughs> in train tunnels. Yeah. And I use giant crossbows to kill people. <laughs> Don't they call those a ballista? Uh, it's only a ballista if it's mounted on a ship. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Do you have a, a mystery rating? No, I, I'm not going to be doing any mystery rating. Oh, readings, really? So. Okay. You can just, you can do yours. Uh, I, I give it a six as a mystery rating. I think that... Uh, they did some interesting things with, like I said, with this being, it's kind of the Watson episode. He kind of, he finds all the clues over and over again throughout this episode. Uh, not all of them, but he finds many of the clues. But, the, you know, the, you have the, the code breaking that I thought was kind of fun. And the whole idea that, oh, it's, it's her brother and, and, you know, he's here to kill her. I enjoyed it. I thought they did a good job. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of The Homestarmy Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag trekwest5, or call and leave us a voicemail at 801-788-4913. So, until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening.